many, if not most of us know that phenomena of all kinds is real and experienced by people the world over every day. But just where do these anomalies of reality exist? Do they live in our world, outside of it, or on the borders of reality? A gap in space, time, and dimension that can't be measured by the instruments we use today. I had a most fascinating discussion about all sorts of strange phenomena with the authors of a book by the same name, Phenomena, Harnessing Your Psychic Powers. Trish and Rob McGregor have been documenting the world of the unusual for more than 30 years, and in that time they've covered some broad territory. In this talk, you'll hear about some of the amazing accounts that they share in their book, and even some that they've never shared publicly before. I am so pleased to welcome today two people who I refer to as the dynamic duo of synchronicity, who both carry <laughs> both carry an encyclopedic knowledge of all things we loosely refer to as high strangeness, and that's Rob and Trish McGregor. You know, I was listening to the last show we did together, guys, which was done back in January of 2017, nearly three years ago. Yeah, and in my intro to that show, I remarked that it had that show in 2017, I remarked that it had been three years previous in January of 2014 that I first had you on the show. <laughs> now, I certainly hadn't consciously planned to have you on every three years, but that's how it's worked out thus far. So let's start with this. Since you are the synchro experts, can you explain what's with the three guys? I mean, come on, coincidence or something more? What's going on? <laughs> I, I think it's fascinating that you have a record of this. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. <laughs> um, to me... Whenever, whenever I run across sequences of numbers, uh, my first frame of reference is usually the E chain because I've been using it mm. for years. But three, so this has been two threes, right? Three yeah. and three, 20, 14 and 20, okay. So that's 33. All right, 33 in the E chain is a hexagram called retreat. Now, I don't like to think about your show as a retreat. Well, I guess... It's a retreat in a sense. Yeah, okay, we'll use the other definition of retreat. Okay. I like that. It's it's a retreat in the sense that we come here and we talk about the things we're interested in. How's that? That sounds good to me. But okay. I'm thinking, is it two threes or are we at three threes? So we have, this is the th your third appearance, okay? Oh, we have your third appearance. Then we've you were on three years previous. And when we spoke then, it was three years previous to that. Three times. Oh, okay. Three times like with that. three years in between each. That's interesting. That is. Um, <laughs> in, in numerology, 33 is... But it's three threes. Yeah, Every three, three. 33 is related to a higher plane mm -hmm. of reality. Um, it's also related to... Uh, like, it, during one trip, we had this experience where we heard this Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, it was like a wrecking that. ball. <laughs> and it was three, three threes uh, of, uh, it was like spirit contact yeah. because we were staying at this hotel that happened, to be, that had to, happened to be right out, outside of a, a cemetery. It actually, we, we thought huh. it was the, the center of the hotel it had like three sides in the center, but we thought it was a garden. Well, it turned out to be a cemetery <laughs> and, our room, <laughs> and our room overlooked it. And, uh, we went in there and talked to the grave digger one time, and I picked up this rock, which I probably shouldn't have done, took it back to the room. And so that night, 
uh, we had gone to bed about 11 o'clock or so. Megan was in the back room, uh, sound asleep, and it was like, I was, am I awake or am I sleeping? I heard this boom, 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 like a wrecking ball hitting the side of the house three times, three. And after the third set of three, I sat up and Trish sat up simultaneously. We looked at each other. We both said, did you hear that? <laughs> yeah, we but both. It was really mm-hmm. uplifting. It was, it was a very uplifting experience. It, was, it, it just was, it was very energizing. energizing. And then the mm-hmm. television came. We hadn't even been watching television that evening. <laughs> it was something so going on. It's energizing like your show. <laughs> so we've gone from retreat to energizing. There's a little creepy in there. I, th- okay, so we got it all that. Listen, this is a perfect segue. So <laughs> is it any surprise that these two, I call the dynamic duo of all things high strangeness. This is, we're going to talk about a book that they just co-authored called Phenomena, Harnessing Your Psychic Powers. Now, this is certainly a book chock full of amazing anecdotes. You just heard one. These guys have plenty. Some are your own stories of incredible firsthand accounts uh, of the unexplainable. But in this book, I'm going to quote you guys. You say, quote, we all have psychic abilities to one degree or another. We can tap into a collective soup of knowledge and wisdom that expands who we are and what we can do. We aren't all Marvel superheroes, but the potential exists in each and every one of us to become more than who we currently are, end quote. Now, listen, if this is the case, and I agree with you, I think... Uh, in addition, more individuals are not only having more of these sorts of experiences, but they're starting to resonate with the idea uh, of an unknown phenomenon, a spectrum of phenomena uh, that's clearly a part of our reality. But guys, if this is so, then why is there still this vehement denial on the part of mainstream science, particularly, that these phenomena exists? What do you think? Yeah, that's part of the frustrating part, although there are scientists who, who are you know, who are looking into this stuff, like Rupert Sheldrake, yes, British biologist. Yeah, talk about that. Mm-hmm. Dean Radin, um, Bernard Bateman, the psychiatrist who's mm-hmm. uh, at the University of Virginia, who's studying synchronicity. I mean, there are people who understand all this and who are looking into it seriously, or they're researching it. And a lot of the older scientists are tied to the old paradigm. They're not going to let it go because it would change the way we think about everything if telepathy if uh, psychokinesis, if seeing the future, precognition, if all that was accepted, then they would have to rethink everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, they go out the door uh, onto other worlds and are replaced by younger people who are more open, uh, things are going to change. It's, it's just a... It's yeah. And yeah. it could change very fast. Yeah, but I think it's I think it's happening regardless of the old vanguard and regardless yeah. of the you know the old uh, and you, you talk about people like uh, Sheldrick who I love and I want to talk about him as well and his that. telepathy work uh, as well as other things many uh, Dean Radin one of my favorites Charles uh, Charles Tart who I haven't heard his yes. name in many years I was in contact with him years ago so there are folks that are not necessarily kids that have been really the uh, the advocates. That's true. So yeah, it's not just age, right? It's by inter- interest and focus is the important thing for developing your own uh, abilities as well. Sure. If you don't have the interest, uh, you're not going to develop your your skills. And if you're so skeptical that you don't believe in anything <laughs> out of the ordinary, out of the mainstream, then you're not oh, going to you're go- you're going to your beliefs are going to be reinforced by mm-hmm. your lack of experiences. Absolutely, and you know you know. We had found these interesting set of statistics that 
there was a survey done by uh, Baylor University in 2005 that concluded that only 15% of Americans believed in any facet of the paranormal. Then you skip ahead 12 years to another one done in 2017 by Chapman University, and it was 75%. Mm-hmm. So that tells you where the popula- the population yeah. is going. Yeah, the Chapman U one, uh, 75% believe in some aspect of the paranormal or UFOs. So, uh, you know, the two surveys could have been done in a little different way, so they may, might not be totally comparable, but it still it shows such a dramatic increase that there's got to be something going on there. Well, I was going to say, what do you think this is due to? I think part of it, social media, podcast, radio shows like yours, uh, you know, there's just more, information is more accessible. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of it. But also I think that I'm hoping that the uh, consciousness of humanity as a whole is expanding mm-hmm. and opening, being more receptive, more heart-centered. Right, and and you can also see it in shamanism, the development of Western shamanism over recent decades, where uh, shamanism, Shamanism differs from standard religion in that you have a priest, in a sense, the shaman, but you have to participate the in in the rituals. Yeah, in the rituals where uh, standard religion, establishment religion, the priest is the person, the in-between person between the hierarchy of the god, whatever, and uh, yourself. Where shaman shamans lead you, guide you into that spirit world where mm-hmm. you experience it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. The experiential versus the, uh, the observation or just being told right. what it is, uh, that, that how it is, that's a, that's a huge topic in and of itself. So maybe there, is, there are the more having experiences and all of the things that we're talking about combined. The fact that pe- maybe more people are having more experiences, consciousness is expanding, and it's becoming more ubiquitous by virtue of these social media where we're able to, able to talk about it. We have far more channels, <laughs> literally and figuratively, to discuss it. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, well you know, the people who experience these things are no longer so reluctant to talk about it. Mm-hmm, because I before, I, you know, back in the 80s, if you had some sort of UFO experience or whatever it was, uh, you knew that if you if you told anybody about it, they would look at you like you were nuts. Sure, at a minimum. <laughs> at a minimum, yeah. right. Yeah. So that's changed. Absolutely. Also. It's a good thing. Let's talk about telepathy. Yeah. We were talking about Mr. Sheldrick. I love him, biologist. Let's talk about uh, how uh, some of the work that he's done as it relates to telepathy. And you cover this idea in your book, uh, in particular uh, in the introduction, where you do cite the work of Sheldrick as it relates to his experiments on telephone telepathy. Now, through his experience, he says that both telephone and email telepathy are quite common. With this whole idea of technology, uh, Trish and Rob, quite literally becoming a medium for all sorts of phenomena, telepathy not being the least of them. There seems to be something quite curious going on with how the electromagnetic spectrum and our own bioelectric field may be interacting with technology. We just, we talked about this offline just a little while ago. We shared, everybody out there, we shared a couple of, couple of anomalous things, let's just say, via images and technology that we believe has to do with capturing some form of spirit energy. What's going on here with technology and us as electric beings? That's a good, I mean, I find this absolutely fascinating. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you think that the iPhone was only created, was only came onto the market in 2007, so we're talking about in a period of 12 years, this kind of technology has really transformed everything. It's transformed how people communicate. 
And it's also transformed how the dead communicate with us, I mm. think. Okay. We tell a story of a woman who has uh, three sons, and one of them uh, had died young at a young age, 18 or 19, and her sons, her other sons had moved away, and then she had this reunion. Uh, the sons were, were back, and because they were, uh, they came one at a time to visit her, but ra rarely had they come together, and she said, uh, my family is back, and on her phone came, this uh, <clears throat> popped up on the screen was a poem that she had written in the aftermath of the death of her son about how she loved him, how close they were. Hmm. And uh, it was just startling to her because there was no reason for that poem to suddenly pop up. She hadn't looked at it in a long time and suddenly there it was. And, and, she, and then she, she wrote, I knew we were all, actually all three of all together, all my sons were here with us. Hmm. Similar to what the story you were telling us before. Yeah, about what I just, what I showed you. Right. Yeah. Right. This is really something, maybe we can come back and, and have a whole talk on. I think it's worth worth having. And by the way, journeyers, I call my audience the journeyers. Let us know some of the some of the stories that you, uh, some of the experiences that you have had in which uh, you feel that something paranormal has interacted through technology. I have a feeling there's a lot out there. I mean, could it be that we're, when I say we, let's just say uh, discarnate energy, once it leaves the physical form, the because it was in the physical form electric we're bioelectric we're electric beings could it be that the electromagnetic spectrum that we're interacting with is easier to manipulate there, there's something it seems that has to do with that interaction oh, maybe so that's yeah. an interesting thought too yeah this goes all the back all the way back to the 60s with uh, a russian name the last name is radai yes i know with uh, uh, radio and finding space between two channels and and recording, uh, sending out questions or comments and getting answers that uh, seem to come from the spirit world. And he, he had a huge book about yeah, electric voice. Phenomenon. Yeah, that's yeah. that's yeah. Constantine Rodev, I believe. Right. Yeah, I'm familiar with that. Yes, what very well known in that area. Yeah, I think it's been worked on for quite some time. It said that Thomas Edison, uh, uh, close to his uh, right. uh, dying, was working on some form of uh, apparatus that yeah. would allow the recording mm -hmm. of uh, uh, yeah. discarnate voices. So this this has been and this is not a new discussion. Edison's yeah. stuff was uh, disappeared after his death uh, because the uh, family members didn't want to associate uh, his name sell, with his. Uh, hmm history with this paranormal. Uh, so that was interesting. So there is something out there somewhere among the family members uh, hmm. who have that material. Fascinating. So much it's hidden. Hmm. Well, listen, in your book, you have examples of individuals, this is an interesting thing, who seem to have a predisposition to paranormal experiences. Now, I've covered this on the show before, where I've asked the question, why is it that some people tend to magnetize paranormal events? You know, I'd like to throw that question out to, to you both. Why is it that some people are constantly attracting what we call high strangeness into their lives while others live otherwise normal lives with little to no anomalous interruption to their day to day? Why do you think some people? Well, I, th I think some people are just predisposed to this strangeness. Like but you, also, like you yeah, both. <laughs> I mean, I, I was born with this, you know, yeah. I, I was fascinated by this stuff since I was a kid. 
But other people, I think, you know, sometimes people who are more skeptical have to be kind of worked into it through through an, an, an anomalous experience themselves. And after that, they're more open. They're more receptive. Yeah. And when Trish and I met, we were in a space where we were surrounded by non-believers uh, or people who are not interested as well. And so we had both been reading the uh, Jane books. Roberts mm -hmm. Seth books and mm -hmm. didn't know anybody else who had any interest in these books who ever even knew about them, who had read it or read any of them. So it was just like a, a quiet preoccupation we chat. <laughs> and then we met and said, oh, <laughs> you, you read those books too. That I love it. Kind of but, set yeah, because Seth, you know, Seth's stuff was very philosophical and it encompassed a lot. Mm -hmm. you know, I think there were 20 books that she channeled. That's right. But yeah, and, and it's trying to digest all the Seth material all by yourself is, is difficult. So <laughs> when I met Rob, uh, you know, it was like a total feast to me. You know, oh, let's talk about Seth. <laughs> so funny. I, I, I know that I knew that the two of you were students of Seth, as am I. I've been reading for years. And I think of Rob Butts, her, her husband, who uh, right. uh, died yeah. quite a few years after. And they're, they're such a... Um, incredible spectrum of work, even outside of Seth Speaks and the nature of personal reality. Right. You've got these early sessions that I own. I still have not uh, dove into them because it, it's deep stuff. It's not, these are, it these is. are not just, you know, easy page turners. You really have to sit and kind of process uh, some of the concepts that he's saying. And yet so much resonated with me. See, you guys well, are, also, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say there was also, uh, I think a set of six books that I may be wrong about this, that, that were written while she was ill, you know, and she had been hospitalized for a year with rheumatoid arthritis and mm -hmm. all the complications. But that's fascinating, too, because Seth still came through, yeah. you know. And we, we felt a special closeness to them. We never met them, but you know, my name is Rob. His yeah. name is Rob. Trisha's, Trisha's uh, maiden name is Jane Schutz. And <laughs> oh. then we had an we had an article that was published in Fate Magazine on psychic detectives, and at the end of the magazine was uh, Jane the end of the Roberts. Article. Uh, the end of the article yeah. was Jane Roberts' uh, obituary, and we really? didn't. We had no. Yeah, that was so eerie. That is really interesting. Well, as I as I think of the two of you, two of you, and I've known you for quite some time now, I can see certainly with the the interest, the mutual interest that you share. I was just going to say, how blessed are you both to? be able to share that uh, very unique interest and in, in love of something and you can share it with each other as they did. So, well, let me ask you, Trish, have you ever channeled? <laughs> I think, you know, this, this is interesting. I also write fiction. And I think that when you're writing fiction, especially fiction or of any sort, you, you sometimes tap into something, mm -hmm. you know, you tap into that collective soup. For instance, back in, um, I think it was 2005, I wrote a novel called Category 5 that took place on a fictional island of Tango Key. And it was a Category 5 storm, devastated the island, it lost electricity. And about two weeks before, I think it was about three weeks before the book came out, um, Katrina happened, Hurricane Katrina in Louisiana. And my my editor called me and she goes, Trish, you got to go on some radio shows. They're desperate for people who know stuff about hurricanes. I said, wait a minute. I wrote a novel. I'm not, I'm no expert on hurricanes. I mean, I've done a lot of research on it, mm -hmm. but I was on probably 40 or 50 shows in three days because people, 
needed information, you know, mm-hmm. it was based on my research. So I said, okay. But back then I encountered a lot of people, not a lot, but some radio hosts who were just vehemently opposed to climate change. Mm-hmm. That had nothing to do with climate change, you know? Right, right. But as far as your question about uh, channeling, neither Trish nor I are channelers in the mainstream sense or the traditional traditional sense of, you know, just taking dictation. And because of our creative work, I guess, I don't think we'd be satisfied just taking dictation from the spirit world. You know, Mm. (laughs) we want to, we want to interpret it and uh, (laughs) play with it. Right. Uh, Right. I think that that is probably it. Uh, You know, we, we would, I think we'd find that boring just day after day, just taking dictation like that and not even being really aware of what we're doing. <laughs> right. Well, I think there's so I, many forms of channeling that, and it, you make a good point, yeah. Trish, being a, a fiction writer, I dare say, and me as a nonfiction writer, uh, I've had moments in which I really felt something was coming through right. me that wasn't from me. Uh, so channeling can happen in, in many, in myriad ways. And, you know, I, right. I, it's so funny. I was just thinking about this today as I was listening to a lecture that I mentioned uh, Nikolai Tesla and talking about how he admitted at, at a particular uh, talk, I think an award he was receiving many years ago, of course, how he was not necessarily doing the inventing of certain technology, right. but was rather given it in in the sleep state and would wake up uh-huh. with copious notes that he don't he didn't remember taking so yeah. w- w- how much of what we're creating is original coming from original thought to begin with we just don't recognize it that way right so the point i mean it does just have to be writing it could be any kind of anything absolutely yeah, yeah. Absolutely. let's and, i'm uh, sorry go ahead rob and coming information coming through dreams as well like einstein einstein's experience mm. uh with a dream that led to his theory of reality. He dreamed that... Relativity. Relativity, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he dreamed that a, a line of cows were near an electrified fence that wasn't electrified at the moment, but then the farmer was at the far end and turned it on, and what Einstein saw was that all the cows jumped back simultaneously, but then in the dream he talks to the farmer, and he said, no, what I saw was they jumped one... Uh, at a time as the electric uh, power went through the the chain. So that's uh, uh, where his original idea of relativity. Because he said it depends mm-hmm. on where you are related to the movement, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Well known to these, quote, original thinkers that they're interacting with phenomena, for sure. Right. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the power of the hypnago- hypnagogic state. I always stumble say is it hypnagogic or hypnagogic it's hypnagogic i believe this is a particularly powerful state for me that which i think we all have that occurs somewhere between uh, wakefulness and sleeping now you open the book uh phenomena telling the story of rob i love the story who while working on a manuscript back in i believe 2000 was in such a state kind of found himself really sleepy and in that in that in-between state probably from exhaustion and Rob, you got a sudden vision of Trisha's mom, who, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe at the time was going into hospice. Is that right? Or in hospice? Well, it was, she, she had Alzheimer's and okay. she had, uh, they had called some weeks earlier and said, 
we're, we think your mother has broken her hip, we're taking her to ER. Well, it turned out her hip had dissolved. Oh and gosh. because of Alzheimer's, they couldn't do the surgery because you have to be present enough to understand what the therapy is. Mm -hmm. So for a hip replacement. So they, she, she was being moved. She'd been in this nursing home for about three weeks and she was being moved that day into hospice. And that's when okay. right. And this vision of her, she was seemed very much alive and, uh, you know, uh, just uh, like she had been in the past. Uh, and it was like she waved goodbye and left. Uh, and about five seconds later, the phone rang and it was the uh, nursing home saying she had just passed. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. But you Sterling, I've had experiences like that with people uh, at the time of their passing or in one case, it was uh, a while after the man's passing, but uh, they came to me in that hypnagogic state and uh, like uh, a cousin of mine died of brain cancer and I knew he was very ill, but I wasn't really in close touch with him for quite a while, but suddenly I saw him and he seemed very alive and energetic and he just looked at me and says, what's happening? <laughs> disappeared and my sister called uh, the next morning and said he had died. Fascinating. We know these are very, very common, but I think the key in your book that you, you, you bring up is being in this sort of uh, twilight state of right. sleep, this hypnagogic or hypnagogic state. It's fascinating, guys. What are your thoughts about how we can proactively work with this sort of state? I, I know answers have come to me. So I'll tell you a story if I have time about a song that came to me uh, in a hypnagogic state. But I, I want to ask you both, can we work with this state proactively to get some answers to stuff we're going through, not just seeing people that are passing, but beyond I, that? I think, I, I think you can. I mean, I, th I think you can give, let's say you're on the verge of falling asleep and you give yourself a suggestion. Okay, I would like an answer to such and such or some guidance to such and such. And I think that when you do that and you start to drift off, more nine times out of 10, you get something, an image or a voice or you know a song, something. But you just have to wake up enough to jot it down and to remember it. And to remember. And also you, yeah. you can reach that state also through meditation, just getting deep and just uh but staying staying aware staying conscious uh but entering and your body come becomes almost like it's asleep but your mind is still aware and that's when these images appear i see them all the time i don't know who these people are that just pop up you know and well tell us uh, about that rob you have that you <laughs> tell me about that i want to hear about that <laughs> yeah just uh okay just a buck two hours ago, I was sitting at my computer and I didn't have a whole lot of sleep last night. And I was kind of uh, in that in that state. And there was this little kid, I could see him very clearly. Uh, he, he had dark skin, but blue eyes and kind of uh, reddish hair. Huh. And like, he was maybe four, four years old or so and looking at me and then uh, it's this like, is a new story to me. He didn't uh, tell me this. Just, this just Breaking news. There. Breaking news. Yeah, yeah, really. And then suddenly he disappeared and is replaced at the same time by a woman who I thought might be his mother, who is a woman in her like mid to late 20s. And she had a, a baseball cap on sideways, not backwards or forward, but <laughs> sideways. <laughs> and huh, it, it was like she was replacing. I was kind of curious about him, wanted more. And then she kind of just stepped in and replaced him and said, I'm here. You know, I don't know what this means. Were they speaking, Rob, or just observing no, no. you? 
Yeah, no, no, no speaking at all. Uh -huh. Just that's vision. fascinating. And were, were they aware of me? And where where did they come from? I don't know. <laughs> did it seem well, as if they were looking at you? Yeah, they seem to be. Yeah, they they, they seem to be aware of me. Well, see, this is this interdimensional stuff. You know, yeah. this is string theory. The <laughs> <laughs> string theory in action. <laughs> Really fascinating. I'm thinking of a, a dear friend of mine who for years uh, would have, and I, I think she still does, when she's in that hypnagogic state, uh, invariably, will have this barrage of individuals showing up, uh, and, and they're just observing her. She will only see uh, head and neck, typically, maybe sometimes to the torso, because she has observed lots of times they're wearing period clothing, they, they're coming from different time periods, wow. all different types of people, and they just come in and replace one after the other after the other. And she says it's actually kind of calming to her. It helps her to go to sleep, but it happens all the time. We know the only, <clears throat> I had one experience back in, I think it was 2001, I went to an Eric Pearl workshop it was mm. a seminar that he gave teaching people his reconnective healing right so in the workshop uh, you had to pair up with a stranger so this and and no physical touching is involved his his technique is all hand movements very specific hand movements so this woman started working on me and all of a sudden this i saw a beam of light shoot out of the top of my head went through the roof of this huge auditorium or whatever it was we were in. And at the top, there were three distinctive little aliens looking down this beam of light, watching everything. <laughs> so I thought, okay, that was really interesting. Uh, I don't know what it means. However, skip ahead four years. In 2005, we had a whole series of hurricanes back to back. I think it was Hurricane Francis, which wasn't even, I think it was maybe a cat one, it was a hurricane at all, but it was really windy and it was a monsoon. And I remember laying in bed, every, Rob was asleep, the animals were asleep, Mega was asleep, I was the only one awake, laying in bed listening to this wind. I thought, oh my God, when is this thing going to stop? And I was afraid the roof was going to blow off. So I shut my eyes briefly and the same thing happened again. The beam of light shot out of the top of my head, at the top, top of it were these three little aliens looking down and then I promptly fell asleep. And it's never happened again. Huh. Wow. So I don't, I you know, know. I, I don't know what things like that mean, but it was comforting. <laughs> it was comforting? Really? Okay. Really? It wasn't jarring. You know? Yeah. We'll have to explore that one. Twice it happened. Yeah. And were these the Twice. same beings, you think? The... Yeah, they were. Interesting. Do you believe they were actually there? Or was it some sort of uh, symbolism? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that there definitely was something that came out of the top of my head because the top of my head felt like it blew off when that beam of light went out. And it's interesting that there were three because the yeah. number three in aliens come uh, comes about often in stories mm -hmm. That's right. about abduction. There's I, always three. I'm aware mm -hmm. of that. I'm very much aware of that, actually. Yeah. Indeed. Yes. That's one of uh, the people who do this research kind of check out whether these, the story is true, <laughs> how many aliens were there. <laughs> right. Uh, when they say three, it seems to be clicking on to something. Mm -hmm. No question about it. I, I, I included some of that in my, my work as well. Very interesting. Well, here we go with three again, right? Maybe we can yeah, go yeah. back to the beginning yeah. of the conversation and infuse another <laughs> meaning into why you come on every three years for the third time. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's
I mean, also to me, three is also a number of, it's about spiritual things. Sure. The Trinity. The Trinity. Yeah. The Trinity. Mm, yeah. Let's go back to this idea of telepathy, guys. Now, this is something that, Trish, I really want you to weigh in on. I know that besides being an extraordinary writer and teller of stories about these sorts of phenomena, you, my dear, are an exquisite astrologer. And you and I have had some conversations about the language of the stars. I would like to know, Trish, if planetary positions and alignments can influence uh, the potency or the lack thereof, maybe, of telepathic communication. I mean, is there a time where one might want to practice sending telepathic messages according to planetary alignment or moon cycles, retrogrades? Well, not during <laughs> retrogrades, that's for sure. Not during retrogrades, uh, okay. But that, actually, that, that may not be true because a, a Mercury retrograde, yes, it's, it screws up communication and, you know, electronics and that kind of thing. But also during a retrograde, you people you've known in your life and but haven't seen for a while tend to crop up you know old friends come back into your life uh, also sometimes old issues resurface but related to your question about telepathy in i i believe that the trine is probably the most powerful uh, um, aspect for telepathy because that's when two or more planets are connected at 120 degrees so let's say you know, let's say you're, let's say you're an earth sign, let's say you're Capricorn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And on a particular day, Mercury and Capricorn or Mercury is in Taurus. And then maybe Jupiter is in, let's see, uh, in Virgo. So there you've got an earth trine and a trine facilitates energy, the flow of energy. Mm-hmm. And the Earth sign grounds it. So that would be one example. Interesting. How would we know when but, we're in a trine? That, that, that's the tricky part. you got to have astrology software. <laughs> right. <laughs> we well, want to know. You, know you, you can go on a website and see, you know, these websites that list the ephemeris for, say, this year or 2020, for instance, and see which planets are going to be where and if they're separated by 120 degrees then that's a trine also there's a sextile which is a separation of 60 degrees which would also facilitate i think telepathy mm-hmm. okay but i think- did a chart for a woman who whose birth chart is just filled with trines and i think she's probably quite well i know she is she's very intuitive so often when you see in a birth chart, people who have a lot of trines, that often suggests that it's a reward for previous something they've done in previous lives. And in this life, there's there's an easy flow of energy between the unconscious and the conscious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's something that we can further further pursue. I mean, yeah, I got to... yeah go ahead. I may have to do a post on that. That's a good. That's a good question, though. Yeah, I just have yeah. to get this sense that you know, we, look, we we are so. I mean, we're inextricably linked to Mother Earth uh, and the solar system and beyond, and so we know that there are certainly uh, proven effects that uh, the full mm-hmm. moon, the lunar cycle, or the particularly the full right. moon as well as the new moon have on us. So why wouldn't we be able to somehow harness certain alignments to use some of these things that we have embedded in us anyway? Telepathy is real. 
the lunar phases are important. A new moon would be a great time to try something new. Uh, mm-hmm. The full moon bring, tends to bring things to fruition. So that's a good time. The one time I, I, I probably wouldn't try it is when the moon is balsamic. It's called the dark moon. And that's right before the moon, you know, bursts into the new moon cycle. Uh-huh. I want you to do a post on this. Would you? Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll send every, all the higher journeyers over to you. Do a post on this. Okay. Let me know. And I, I love your, your website. Awesome. We're going to talk about that later. Let's keep talking about Phenomena, this great book. Now, listen, in this book, you guys cover the gamut of Phenomena, obviously from hearing voices to receiving vi- visions to precognition, remote viewing, out-of-body experience. The list is long. But one of my favorite areas you cover has to do with planetary empathy or in describing some individuals as planetary empaths. And I knew, based on going to your website, it, I learned about it. And I've been kind of rocking that term. People are like, I've never heard of that. Well, you've got to go to this website and find out. So you guys <laughs> brought that term, I think, to the to the masses. What is a planetary empath? Can you explain? Planetary, go ahead, Rob. Well, planetary empaths are people who have uh, physical reactions in advance of either natural uh, or man-made disasters. disasters. And they come in, they're they're not happy things. Uh, They're not things that people like experiencing. Uh, They're physical symptoms that they experience sometimes weeks or days before but it's not related to any uh, physical yeah. problem that they have either like hearing uh, clicking sounds or having nosebleeds having abdominal yeah. pains that aren't related to anything it's really in your body mm-hmm. if you're not, if you're not diseased you're not but they feel like they are <laughs> yeah and the sounds they hear is, is a big factor that uh, the ringing and it's something, it's not with people who have this problem normally, but it's something that comes up just before these experiences. Yeah, I mean, some of them get nosebleeds. Uh, one woman gets migraines. I mean, the, the physical symptoms, there's a range of physical symptoms. Mm-hmm. Dizziness, but, vertigo. I yeah, heard one of your... Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but the problem is that none of them, okay, they say, all right, if if I have you know, I feel like I'm burning up, then it's probably related to a volcanic eruption that's going to occur. But other than that, they they can't... They can't pinpoint what yeah, it is. Yeah, where, where it is yeah. or when it's going to happen. It, it hasn't been that helpful. It hasn't, yeah. Uh, and even if they... It makes could, their lives difficult. And even if they could say, okay, there's going to be a terrorist attack in Paris because of I, this, I felt this way, uh, what could they do? You know, yeah, who's going to believe right. them? Yeah. Right. I know that's frustrating for people that that have uh, precognition, and this is a very common thing. And right. I think that the big question everyone asks is, why am I being given this if I can't do anything about it? Well, maybe mm-hmm. that's not the dynamic at play. Maybe we're just wired. We're just wired to the spectrum of experience. I mean, this is called the field. We can't not be wired to it. So it's not necessarily a uh, you're given this for that reason. You're just given it because you're part of it. Um, yeah. which That's is frustrating. Point. It's frustrating <laughs> for sure. Yeah. It's actually frustrating to these people who experience the, this phenomena all the time, you know, frequently, especially now the way the world is so crazy right now. Yeah. 
And yeah. it also uh, related to this, not quite uh, the same as planetary empaths, but psychic detectives, people who uh, hear about a murder and they just get a picture of who it was and the, the whole circumstances of it. We uh, interviewed a man years ago named George Hardy, who uh, he saw this story on television and he just knew who the murderer was and he had to, he just felt it was his duty to report it well he became a suspect because he had yeah. so much detail mm. that hadn't been and and they put him under sodium pentothal some kind of concoction of uh drugs that uh, we were talking to him like 15 years it was a boston strangler case was the story was the case mm. and he, we were talking to him 12 15 years after that uh story was all over and he was still messed yeah, up yeah he was messed up from the drugs they had given my him. goodness and, yeah so, all because so, he yeah, had a psychic a, a psychic right. proclivity in this that's yeah you have to be careful and he felt obligated to report it to somebody right hmm. you know my, my is that we, we need more scientists say working with these planetary impasse or working with psychic detectives people who can really study the process and and maybe with impasse to learn where somehow direct them to where these events are going to occur Kind of like Minority Report, except that was about crime. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's a great idea. Oh, my gosh. Well, I was going to ask the two of you, how how uh, widespread do you think this is in terms of uh, being planetary empath? I mean, is it, have you, I know you've been at, looking at this for quite some time. Do you, do you see it growing? Do you think this is something that's rare? <laughs> no, I don't think it's, I think a lot of people experience symptoms but they don't make the connection when the event happens you know in other words maybe they go to a doctor <laughs> instead and say oh my god i've got this terrible stomach pain and you know and then some people who are aware like we have a friend who lives in wales who's a psychic healer who's given us uh, a number of these different uh, stories related to the sensations she, the sicknesses she's had before these experiences for these uh tragedies and uh she no longer has them because she she's she says it's not good uh, she doesn't want to have these experiences sure. so she blocks so, uh because yeah. of the uh, what it does to her body what it does to her mind so planetary empaths this is something i don't know that i realize this is specifically having to do with those that are having physical symptoms related to something that's well, about to happen not just emotion yeah. emotional yeah, it's both emotional and physical. It seems to vary in depending on people. Mm -hmm. Like people, for instance, uh, some of these empaths they they get depressed for no reason. That's yeah. funny. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and they don't know. Okay, why am I feeling so down? And mm -hmm. I cry all the time. You know, it's not because they're clinically depressed. It's something else. They're feeling something. They're picking up on something. And mm -hmm. yeah, they're picking up on a tragedy. Yeah. Um, but then they're also the ones who pick up on, you know, the physical symptoms. Right. That is quite the burden. That's quite a burden to carry. Yeah. We'll talk about that a little bit more offline. But <laughs> so many different <laughs> nuggets here. I hope everyone goes and gets this book, Phenomena. We'll make sure we have a link for it. But let's listen. You cannot have a book about phenomena and not include my journeyers love it, the UFO subject within its pages. <laughs> you certainly did not omit this. You both, I want to bring up something specifically. You both, you've had so many memorable 
interactions, many, but one with uh, the late Betty Hill, of course, known famously for her abduction along with her husband, Barney, 1961, while driving through the White Mountains of New Hampshire. It's a famous story. It's really set a precedent. Along with, also, he wasn't there, <laughs> but ET contact regressionist, late Bud Hopkins, both very well-known names right. uh, in our field. What was? Tell us about the interaction that you had uh, with both of them and what that was like. Yeah, it was interesting because we met them both at virtually the same time, the, the same, same UFO weekend. Conference. It was a UFO conference in Hollywood, Florida that wasn't very well publicized or very well attended. There were probably under 100 people there. But we were covering it for Omni magazine. Remember yeah. Omni? Mm-hmm, it sure did. Yeah, it was a science, great magazine. Science magazines that also had fiction, uh, science fiction stories in it, but it also had right in the center of the magazine, it had several red pages about uh, paraphern- uh, UFOs and the paranormal, and uh, we worked for that that section through one editor. <laughs> so uh, we were just starting out as freelancers. So it was great because they paid very well, mm-hmm. and it uh, and we were getting assignments, uh, a lot of assignments. They a lot of them they didn't publish. They just didn't have room for them. Uh, but we were paid 100% uh, kill fee, which was great. Mm. And, but that's how we met Betty yeah, and Barney. Right. They were both speakers at this. Yeah, we were, we were assigned to this uh, UFO conference, and uh, Bud Hopkins was there, Betty was there, and uh, well, you can tell the Betty story better, <laughs> you, you had a lot more to do with it. <laughs> well, it was Betty, uh, she was traveling with a friend of hers who was a nurse, and she gave her talk, you know, it was really fascinating, although she was a very nervous person, you know, her eyes were always going towards the window. I, I kind of got the feeling with Betty that she was always looking for the UFOs. And she mm-hmm. seemed to be a chain smoker. Yeah, yeah, she was also a chain smoker. But in fact, when she signed our book, you know, she said, look at the skies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, we had them over for uh, dinner during one of the uh, nights of this conference. And Betty was just fascinating to talk to. I mean, she went through the whole thing about what had happened to Barney and, you know, everything. And at one point, we walked outside. We lived at that time in a condo, and there was a big parking lot outside our our condo. And we walked outside, and Betty looked up, and she goes, "Look, look! It's a, it's one of them." Hmm. And it was a, it was the airplane lights. And I said, "Oh, okay." I said, "But I thought that was an airplane light." She said, "They disguise themselves as whatever they want you to see." Now, who am I to say that sounds nuts? Because it didn't. This is the woman who, you know, she she and Barney basically set the marker for UFO. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and she knew her stuff. Yeah, she had a place in New Hampshire. She used to go out in this field and watch. And we knew uh, somebody else, a psychiatrist, lived in Bureau Beach, Florida. What was his name um, again? Um, Mike Levitt. No. Who, no, no, I mean, he was the one. Yeah, who... Oh, shoot. Oh, I can't think of his name right now. Well, but, we'll think of it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he, he studied uh, Benny, uh, Betty quite a bit, and he would go out to this field with her. And he, we, I remember asking him, well, did you, uh, did you see the lights? Did you, you see what she saw? He said, yes, I saw the lights. But the question is, what were they? What you were know? they? <laughs> that, right. that was the open question. You know, I mean, he, he was seeing airplanes, too, and some of them. So, but he did uh she she had this place where she went uh she had this nurse friend who was with us and they would go out to the field but you know abductions change people and you can't if somebody feels that they're seeing 
a UFO, you can't say, well, don't 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 believe your own experience. See that that's part of what's wrong, mm-hmm. I think, in terms of skepticism. You know, well, that's nuts. Or don't you you didn't really experience that? Well, yeah, I did. You know. Right. And again, it's it's not just about the the observation, but the feeling, you know, it seems like she I wasn't there, obviously, in that parking lot where she said uh, adamantly, well, they know how to cloak themselves to be whatever they want, which right. uh, but th- there's after going through the experience that she was said to go through along with her husband, there's got to be this this they're attached to it, a feeling that. Right she may not have been able to explain, but you know what you know. You just know what you know without having to explain it. So I know her. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say briefly, are you familiar with her niece, Kathleen Martin, who I know quite well? Yeah, I don't know her, but I've seen her book. Yeah, I should connect the two of you. Maybe we'll do that. We'll probably put you two together. Yeah, she's lovely. And she's, she's also an experiencer. Very, very active with MUFON. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so she's got a lot to tell. Yeah, we'll talk about that offline, too. So (laughs) listen, let's move on, because we don't have too much time left. The time has flown, as I am not surprised that it would do. I want to use this term, throw this term out at you that you brought uh, brought up a couple of times in your book, referring to the matrix of reality. You you brought it up, I think, in the beginning of your book as it relates to a holographic model of reality and one that I mm-hmm. personally resonate with. I want to ask you, do you think, uh, both of you, that we are living in a sort of pre-configured universe? I mean, that all of what we experience in our ra- reality, including the phenomena in our lives, may be quite literally already embedded within the fabric of reality, if it's a matrix? That's a really interesting question. You know, Whitley Strieber asked us the same question. Oh. Matrix. Matrix, yeah. And yeah, it could be all a hallucination, uh, that a shared hallucination that we're all experiencing, that this reality is, that is a projection from something else. Uh, or it could just be we create our own reality, like Seth said. Why Why O R? Yeah. <laughs> That's what he said. Why see why? Okay. Yeah. What are you? But what I is mean, your sense? What do you have a hunch? My sense is, my sense is that the matrix is sort of what David Bohm described when he was talking about the implicate order. Yes. He said that everything unfolds from the implicate order: space, time, and the ex- explicate or the unfolded order is what we see in our daily lives. So, if you experience synchronicity, for instance. That's the that's along the border between the implicate and the ex, explicate. I also think that a lot of the paranormal exists along that border, including UFOs and aliens and you know all the things we've been talking about. So in a sense, according to Bohm, we're living in a uh, a holograph, a holographic universe. Mm-hmm. Michael Talbot. <laughs> Michael Talbot, of course. Who, yeah, that's how I learned cool. of Bohm's work. Yeah, interesting yeah. you use that term border. So I'm kind of getting this image of an in-between state where it's not, and I know Bohm is famous for his implicate and explicate order, the unfolded, infoldment and unfoldment of all things. <laughs> but there is this in-between state that actually someone else that uh, Talbot mentioned in his book, which is uh, Itzhak Bentoff, I believe, who wrote Stalking the Wild Pendulum. Really complex book. I got it. I don't think I ever finished it. But he goes into this idea where stuff is really happening in that in-between borderline state that cannot be physically measured. And yet so much could be unfolding from that. 
quote space. Yeah, I remember that book too. That was a great book. That area, the borderline area, that's where synchronicities are because uh, they exist, they're meaningful coincidences. They exist outside of the normal sense of cause and effect. And but so, so do sort of aliens. So do, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I think the whole paranormal thing is there in that in between. Hmm. But when we're, we experience these meaningful coincidences, we're getting a peek to that uh, the, the enfolded reality. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that with UFO experience, you're getting a peek too. Maybe so. Because they, <clears throat> all of it. Seem, really? Yeah. I've never I heard mean, it explained you know, this way, the two of you. Once he, again, you're, you're bringing up something in a way that I have not heard before, borderlining, really sitting on the edge of something, and yet there's so much juice there. It's not fully right. enfolded nor unfolded. It's yeah. in an abyss, it's, even. <laughs> it's, yeah. Uh, it is like a borderline. That's uh, a boundary. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, okay. One of the things that Whitley Strieber always talks to us about is the relationship of the dead with, uh, with, the, aliens. with the aliens, uh, which is very interesting because there's two ways of looking that's, at that subject. One is that they, they exist in other realities, other dimensions where they move between dimensions, our dimension to the dimension of the dead, and that's why uh, they can be seen with the dead sometimes. Uh, the other thing, possibility, is that they have the capacity to look into your mind to see your dead loved ones and to project that image through uh, by transforming their own image to you. So you you see this uh, alien that appears as a uh, uh, dead relative. as a dead relative, mm. and we, you know stories. Uh, uh, are true. In one particular case, a woman was abducted after going to a UFO con, uh, no, concert. A rock not, concert. A, excuse me. A, rock, <laughs> a UFO a rock, concert? That's a new one for me. Yeah, <laughs> a rock and uh, she was abducted afterwards. And she, she had been had many abductions previous to that. And she was just angry that, you know, she had just gone to this concert. <clears throat> now she is in this ship. And the aliens were there. And one of them was the lead singer, Axel Rose. <laughs> And she said, what's he doing here? And uh, they said, well, we thought you liked him. And then the Axel Rose turned back into an alien. <laughs> well, you know, this is bringing up the whole idea of screen memory, which I, I'm sure you all are familiar yeah. with. And yeah. I'm going to be uh, folding in a bit into my uh, upcoming talk in Australia, uh, because you can't escape that. That to what, where is this being produced from? Uh, we know that uh, oftentimes people will see animals in, in lieu of... Right. Uh, instead of the the actual physical, uh, well, whatever the, the species is, whatever the being is, but is it emanating from our own consciousness? There's a confluence of the two. I mean, w- what's doing this? Why is it? I don't even expect you to answer because I think that's a loaded question, but that's that's yeah, fascinating. And what Whitley's talking about particularly, does he feel that, it, what about his thoughts about Anne? Because I know he's got constant streams of information coming that he feels is from Anne. What well, are... he also, after she died, they co-authored a book. I know. I the know. Af- mm-hmm. Yeah, The Afterlife Revolution, which I thought was a really interesting book. You know, it, it's, he says it's through meditation, you know, that that's his conduit to her. His 3 a.m. Fact, meditation. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, 
In fact, yeah. she, she, I believe it was Anne, who a couple of years ago told him to go to the town of Casadega, Florida, which is a spiritualist community north of Orlando. And so he wrote us and he said, hey, do you guys know about Casadega? And at the, at the time, I, we were just coming back from Casadega where I'd been teaching an astrology workshop. Yeah, we had just left. We had just left. Probably, we weren't a half an hour out of that town when he asked if we'd ever heard of it. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> let, let, said, well, let's meet there. So we met him and Peter Lavenda, who's uh -huh. also very knowledgeable about this stuff yeah. uh, in Casadega. And it was, it was great. It was a lot of fun, you know. It you was, wrote about that in the book, we, didn't you? You brought I that think up. So, yeah. 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 It's not in this book, in one of them. <laughs> no, I think in this one, it's fresh in yeah, my mind because I just read it. But yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I love Peter Lavenda's work as well. In fact, another another offline story of hanging out with Whitley and Peter Lavenda a couple of years ago at Contact in the Desert, and Linda Moulton Howe, all of us. Uh, having yeah, right. having drinks and talking about God knows what. I just heard from Whitley yesterday. Yeah. We just communicated actually yesterday. So, oh really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, we'll we'll talk about that offline too. So much to okay. catch up on. <laughs> but oh boy, I I want to go back to the borderline just for just for a hot minute before we before we leave because this is I think out of everything this is something that's really juicy to me. <sighs> if if all of these experiences or a great deal of them somehow hang on the cliff, let's call it, of that border, that that edge of reality and unreality, wouldn't it? Wouldn't we assume that we do as well at some level? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I think. You mm -hmm. know. Yeah, Probably. you know, our our book, phenomena, is about all that encompasses the unknown realities, the paranormal mysteries of the unknown, UFOs, ghosts, because it's a part of our DNA It's as uh, spiritual beings in a physical world. So essentially, we come from that world. We are uh, spiritual beings, and this is a projection into the physical world. We're, the, we're on the other side as well right now. Sure. That, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I, I've heard of people that have experienced, you know, sort of, well, we could call it, I don't know if you would call that bilocation as much as just having a sense of, actually, right. I think I heard from someone not that long ago that had written to me about that very odd sense that they were being spoken to by a counterpart of themselves while in the meditative state, frightened the heck out of her. Yeah. Wow. So many mysteries. Well, you know, Joe McMoneagle, who was part of the Stargate program, one of the things he said was that when he remote views, what he feels happens is that another part of himself, the future part or whatever, you know, whatever he would term that, is the one who gives him the information. And that's why he in the present is able to be so accurate. Mm -hmm. In a sense, it's like what you're talking about, by locating, except that, you know, he's talking about his future self a future version of himself that's what he said really that that was part of the he felt that that was part of the dynamic of his remote viewing that he was in touch with yeah. another aspect of him that's interesting uh, another aspect of himself but now then then I, I wonder about this though because he did a remote view of mars mm -hmm. one million years in the past so and he gave very specific things about what he saw and you know the beings he saw so that couldn't be Joe from the future, could right. it? <laughs> well, you know, or I don't know. You know, I mean, the way Joe works just fascinates me. I, I, I he's so he, 
you, you give him a target, it's in an envelope, he never sees what's in the envelope, and he just starts sketching and talking. Yeah, he, he, he's done some incredible things, but he's not always right, too. Like, we were, mm. we got trapped on an island in the Bahamas with him <laughs> and Scooter's wife, uh, Nancy McMoneagle, and he was certain that there was no hurricane coming. And, uh, you know, but Trish, uh, she was really, she, you know, we know a lot about hurricanes living down here. Mm -hmm. and so also she, from my foot. Yeah, and, uh, <clears throat> and Trish was confident, certain that that uh, just the opposite of uh, what Joe was saying, that it was going to hit us, and it did. And, uh, and we, I kept saying, well, we have to go get supplies. We need paper towels. We need water, you know. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, we didn't have any. Uh, we couldn't flush the toilets. We had to go down to the ocean with a bucket. Oh, my gosh. Bl blasted <laughs> by big waves coming back with a, a bucket of wa salt water. <laughs> she could flush the toilet. So completely soaked, you know, from the, uh, from the waves and right. just to flush the And the, the, uh, we had to be rescued, basically. The, uh, the road in parts was over six feet deep of water. Oh, my gosh. And uh, you could, couldn't drive out of there. And so this huge truck uh, came along and uh, got us out of there. But and we got to the airport just in time to make our our airplane. And there was only one uh, one strip that wasn't underwater, uh, so the airplane was able to wow. take off. And, and you it, were with <laughs> Joe and his wife at the time, right? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, what good was he then? Did <laughs> he? <laughs> I'm kidding. We know, obviously, he's the 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 guru. He and Ingo Swan of of remote viewing. My goodness, so uh, I have such reverence for both of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, folks, we're going to have to wind this down. We actually went a little over, but well worth it. We're talking about all things paranormal. We're talking about phenomena. And speaking of uh, that aptly titled book, where can people get it? And they can get it right now, right? Yeah, they, it's, it's available anywhere online now, Amazon, Barnes okay. & Noble. And hopefully, I, I think the uh, print book is coming out. And the audio book as well. Yeah, the audio. And the audio book. Okay, fantastic. Right now it's an e-book, yeah. Yeah, okay. right now it's just an e -book. So you can go get it and get it immediately, folks. And I would definitely suggest doing that. As well as, uh, can they click through to uh, from your website as well? So no, we, I, we don't have... We don't have any capacity to take credit cards. Yeah, they okay. can't buy. Yeah, you know, they, but I mean, is there a link that will take them? I'm trying to get them to go to your. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to get them to go to your website. Yeah, yeah. There's a link on the website. There you go. That's all. Yeah. Tell us what the website is. It's blog.synchrosecrets.com. There you go. Blog.synchrosecrets. There's an entire archive of strange stories. <laughs> I know. Go back. Years. <laughs> and one coming that you promised you'd write for us, right? Yes. <laughs> I, gotta, think about that. Actually, I like this borderline thing you suggested. This is really yeah, interesting. Let's talk about that. That's, let's maybe we can brainstorm yeah. something together. You never know. That that's yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. Well, listen, you're both fascinating, by the way, Rob and Trish, the dynamic duo. I mean that. You know, I was listening to the the interview that we did three years ago. And I think I called you that then. And it's so funny because when I was uh, sort of working up the intro, I, it just came to me again. And I'm like, I think I said that before. Lo and behold, I listened to the show and I didn't. So I mean that. It's great. The two of you, how long have you been married? 35 it's, years. He's sure to pause. It's 36. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah, you're in trouble. Okay. Yeah, 36. Beautiful. Yeah. 
Well, long time. <laughs> here's here's to another thirty six or yeah, heck, another fifty. <laughs> so we can uh, we can see great more. Great host, too. Thank you, Alexa. Say again. You're a great hostess. Oh well, so, it's right. it's easy when I've got friends that I'm chatting about stuff that I love to talk about the most. So, but thank you, I do appreciate it. You're so knowledgeable. That's what I love. <laughs> I mean, you. It's, it's fun. It's you know, fun. You know about stalking the pendulum. <laughs> <laughs> stalking the wild pendulum. Let's go look that yeah, book right. up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's another yeah. great book I'd recommend for sure. <laughs> so listen, I'm going to say goodbye for now. I don't want the two of you to hang up because we've got a few things to, a few items to check off the list before we hang up. But yes. I am going to say thank you to the journeyers as always for, uh, for checking in with us. Listen, I'm going to also remind you if you like this show, you know what to do. If you haven't done it already, please subscribe. It does support the work that we're doing here at Higher Journeys. It enables us to keep the information coming to you. So if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe to us on our YouTube channel as well as hit that like button only if you liked it and uh, comment because I get such great feedback from you and your stories. That's huge. You're a part of this journey. So please, let's be proactive and, and get involved in the community of Higher Journeys. All right, guys, as always, we thank you for joining us on this incredible journey we call Higher Journeys. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.